moved? I thought you were still there. I thought you were just playing hooky a little bit, not not to where you're supposed to be. Amen. Um, we still have a spot for him. Our letterhead still has his name on it. We just we're in denial that uh, that they've left. Anyway, if I just I don't know where those will end up by the end of the service, but we'll try to do that. And and uh, what a blessing it was. And uh, wish that you know those are the kinds of things you wish wouldn't end. But uh, God has His plan. He mentioned working under me, and that's true. He did work under me. Uh, the one year He was there with us, we were putting a new roof on our building. When I say putting a new roof on, I mean putting a roof on, not just re-roofing. It was an old. Our building is an old elementary school building, and uh, and I I still have not figured out what made sense about this. But to build those buildings in that in that climate with a flat roof. Uh, I guess they didn't want the snow sliding off of it. I don't know. We had and, over 170 inches of snow this year, and so, and, and so we had this flat roof, and so we decided, you know, uh, actually we didn't, we didn't have a roof anymore. We had a funnel. You know, a funnel is just this, this wide surface that collects all the water, brings it to one point, and then dumps it in, and that's what we had, and I remember one, one Sunday morning I was preaching away, and, uh, and the, the ceiling, the roof opened up, in a, you know, we had uh, two rows, you know, it had a center aisle and a, row of, a, a set of seats here, a set, and right in the middle of this section over here, the, the roof just opened up and water started literally just pouring, pouring through the ceiling. And people got up and moved chairs out and went out and got 30-gallon trash cans and, and put under it, catching water. The weird thing is, I was in the zone. I never even noticed. <laughs> I just, sometimes when I get preaching, I mean, you can have like hula hoops and, uh, you know, uh, baton twirlers and people doing flips and whatever. And I may or may not notice. It just all depends. Sometimes I notice the smallest thing. Hey, saw that. Um, but uh, but I, I got done, closed the service, prayed to dismiss, walked off the platform, walked over there, and all these chairs are moved around and trash cans. I said, what happened here? And they're like, seriously? But anyway, so we decided we needed a pitched roof over the whole building, so we went up there. And actually, you know, there was a three-foot or so parapet wall that surrounded the, the entire exterior of the building. So we drilled down into that concrete cap, put plates down, and got 70-some-foot-wide trusses, and, and it was quite the ordeal. And took us from May until into December, we were starting to button up, you know, doing all the work ourselves, starting to button up the uh, fascia and the soffit. And I remember one particular spot right near our main entrance where it's kind of an awkward thing over some stairs and, and the roof line is going up and uh, trying to button up some fascia there and some soffit. And, uh, and so we had, a, we had this, you know, trying to figure out how to get to this because we're poor Baptist people. We don't actually get equipment. You know, we try to figure out how can I do that off a pogo stick, you know, and bounce up and bounce up and and, uh, and so we had this uh, extension ladder leaning up against the building over the stairs. And then out at the corner of the building, we had a set of scaffolding. And then we had one of those aluminum picks, you know, a 12-inch wide aluminum pick 
And it was, a, I don't know how long it was, it was long, long aluminum pick. And uh, stretched from that up onto a rung on the extension ladder, which was leaning away from the, uh, the uh, scaffolding out here. And of course, the roof line's going up. So eventually, uh, if you can tell, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I have suffered from being under tall. And, uh, and so I ran out of reach to get up there. And, and Pastor Reno, if you don't know this yet, you should know, he doesn't do well with heights. Uh, and so uh, I'm out on this pick, and the pick, the farther you get out on it, it's just doing this, you know. And, uh, and so I had to get some, so we took the pick and we put it on an angle from the scaffolding up onto a higher rung on the ladder. And to keep it from sliding off of that, we tied a rope around it to try to keep it up on the rung of the ladder. And so now I'm back up on it and I'm on this incline going up this thing and I still run out of reach. Well, it was already on a pretty steep angle and I didn't dare go up another rung. And, and so I got a five-gallon bucket and turned it upside down in the middle of the pick. And I get up there and now I'm standing on a five-gallon bucket in the center of this 12-inch pick on an angle like this. And the whole thing's just going like this. And Pastor Reno's on the ground and he's shaking his head and he says, I'm just here to call 911. <laughs> that's, that's a true story. I'm just here to call 911. So he was working under me. <laughs> Literally. Several feet under me. And so, uh, but at any rate, uh, it got done. It got all buttoned up. Nobody died. Uh, praise the Lord. I did get a few serious injuries to me. Hit myself in the head with a hammer the day we were starting a revival meeting. We were up there working. I don't know why I'm telling you all this, making me look like a complete idiot. Uh, and we were up there and uh, trying to get as much done as we could before the revival meeting started that night. And Pastor Reno, if I remember right, went to pick up the guest speaker. Yeah, I'm up there working. He's picking up the guest speaker. See, I never did figure this out. No, maybe he still wants to come back and work for me because I do all the work. He, he does all the picking up the guest speaker stuff. And so uh, we're, we're up there, and part of our building, it's, it's in two-part trusses, and we found out that they had sent us the wrong number of two-part trusses, but we figured out with an engineer that we could move one of these parts and stagger them, and on an e-wall, we could still get the job done. But that meant one of the half trusses, which was, you know, 30-some feet long, just the half truss, had to be moved. We had already installed it. So we had to try to take all these stringers off, take it down underneath the, the other uh, uh, trusses, on the flat roof, slide it all the way down, stand it back up at the end, and, and reattach it. And I said, okay, guys, I want to get this done before church starts tonight. So we started like madmen, just, just tearing stuff out. And so there's a, a two-by-four stringer across all the bottom cords. And I'm going along with a 20-ounce hammer. And I'm hitting those things. There's, you know, two 16-penny nails. 
you know, uh, at each spot. And I'm going through and I'm trying to take out both six penny, uh, 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 16 penny nails with one hit. Swing up underneath. Boom! Go on to the next one. Boom! Go on to the next one. Well, after a few of those, you're getting a little tired. And your aim is off a little bit. So as I swung that 20-ounce hammer up like that, I missed the board. My brain realizes I missed the board. So the brain says to the hand, stop swinging. So my arm stopped, but my wrist became a pivot point. And I hit myself right in the head with the 20-ounce hammer. Boom! The color went out of everything. It just got real, real gray for a few seconds there. And, and I caught myself on the truss. And, and I got my bearings and I stood up. And the first thing you do, you look to see if anybody saw you. Because if they didn't see you, it didn't happen. So I looked around and I didn't think anybody really saw me. And so I, I got, I jumped on the next one, I started going, and then all of a sudden, here's guys staring at me. And I'm like, what's wrong? They go, uh, you're bleeding. And I go, what? And I took off my hat and went like that, and my arm was covered with blood. I split my head completely open. And, and the meeting's starting in just a little bit. And I... I said, okay, you guys finish this up, get that boot down there and do this. I'll be back. So I climbed down the ladder inside the building. We had this little hole. slide. I climbed down the ladder, step out of the hallway. Pastor Reno just arrives with the guest speaker. And I step out of the hallway, almost right there into him. I was like, hey, Pastor Wagner, how you doing? I got blood just pouring down my face. I'm like, uh, I've been better. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I'll be right back. And I went in and I got some paper towels, got them wet, popped them on my head, put my hat back on to hold them on. I said, okay, got to go back up and finish. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, he, he did. He worked under me. Um, it's starting to sound like, like this was like the Laurel and Hardy show, amen? I, I'm not sure we trained him to do anything right. Uh, and so whatever he's learned, he must have learned somewhere else. All right, uh, Genesis 25, Genesis 25. Someone just before church said, it's supposed to be 90 degrees here on Sunday. So I, I quick looked at my weather app just before walking up here. And in Superior, Wisconsin, we are supposed to get all the way up on Sunday to 61 degrees and we're going to love it because after uh, last Sunday I came out to five inches of fresh snow on my truck last Sunday morning uh, when I headed out the door and so we're we're going to love 61 degrees we're gonna think we have you know like won the lottery or something because uh, 30 degrees uh, cooler than here but compared to what we've been having uh, we'll take it. Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. 
And I want to just read one verse of Scripture and introduce the message tonight. I know I've preached many years ago, I preached a message similar to this by the same title, different message, but, uh, but similar enough that uh, someone might uh, have it written down somewhere. But the Bible says in verse number 32, And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Father, I pray that you would help us as we've opened and read your word. Lord, that you might speak to our hearts through it. May we receive the challenge as from the Lord. May we fight the urge that when we are challenged concerning our walk with God, may we fight the fleshly urge to get mad, to respond in anger, to get lifted up with pride, and to really allow the Holy Spirit of God to do, to do business in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we are sincere tonight, that we actually desire to see revival, even though I fully believe that not many of us even really know what that means. Not understanding what the cost of revival is. Not understanding the changes that must be made if revival is to come. And if revival does come, the changes that will of necessity be made. God, I pray that you would challenge our hearts from the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to speak tonight on the birthright of the believer. The birthright of the believer. Esau is a good example of a bad thing. He's the example of someone who did not care for what was his by birth, did not care for uh, the position, did not care about the spiritual uh, meaning behind all of it. He didn't care for any of those things. And once they were gone, he wept bitterly, seeking a place of repentance and finding none. How true it is, preacher. How many times have we seen in people's lives where they seek repentance with tears but are unable to find a place of repentance, meaning they cannot recover what has been lost. They cannot, they cannot fully, you know, there, there is such a thing as, listen, we can get forgiveness from God. It doesn't mean that we'll be, have, be restored everything that's lost in the meantime. There are some things that when they are gone, they are gone, such as opportunities. That once they're gone, you can't reclaim them. Your testimony many times, uh, once it's gone, boy, you talk about difficulty reclaiming it. Uh, families falling apart. People that have lost their families and those people have moved on and remarried other people and they preach, how can I get my family back? Well, you can't get your family back. You're not going to get your family back. Your family has moved on because of your sin, because of your impotence in the, in the spiritual leadership of the home. They're gone. Now, you can walk with God. You can have the power of God in your life, and you can get the God, blessings of God back in your life, but there are some things that you just can't ever get back. People don't want to hear that. They get mad at the preacher because he declares it. 
what he saw as a good example of a bad thing because he ignored the birthright, what was his by birth. And I want to talk about that just for a moment by way of interpretation. And then I want to talk about us by way of application, if you'll allow me to do that tonight. First of all, let me talk about some of the things that were included in the birthright. First of all, there was uh, the privileges that were attached in the, in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish economy, uh, to the firstborn. The firstborn was God's appointed one to have dominion over his brethren, over the family. This is all in the patriarchal stage where you didn't just have your wife and kids. You had your wife, your kids, their wives, their husbands, their kids, multiple generations of the family over which you were in charge, the patriarchal stage. And Esau would have been the firstborn in line for that blessing or that position. And yet, he, he uh, thought little of it. The Bible talks about uh, the fact that he despised, look in verse 34, he despised his birthright. Now, I'm going to talk about what that means in just a moment. Not only was he in line to have dominion or be the uh, firstborn, the one in charge, but he's also uh, entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. And so, what was his by birth? What was everybody else's by birth? He got double. And there was, we know, uh, uh, in that... uh, in that uh, time period, in that, in that uh, mind, uh, mindset of thinking, that each of the children had what was theirs by birth. We know from the story of the prodigal son that he took what was his by birth. He was not the firstborn, but he still had an inheritance coming. And he took what was his by birth, and he went and wasted it in riotous living in a far country. And the Bible says when he had spent all, he came to himself, and then he, he returned, and he did return. He did return, and he was received as a son, but his, his inheritance was gone. You see, that, that was not reclaimed. You see, we want to be able to mess up and have a do-over. My favorite button on the computer is undo. Because I often find out I did something wrong. I don't know what it was. I can't find it. I can't fix it. But as long as there's an undo button, I can just back up. And we wish that it was that way with the Christian life, but there is no undo button. You can't, you can't unmake the mistake. You can't unring the bell. And so he had a double portion coming. He had the blessing of the firstborn coming. Then he also... Uh, think about in the case of specifically of, of uh, Isaac's son, this is the promised line of the Messiah. Now, I don't, I've never heard anybody mention this, but I, about three months ago, I was going through this. I was tasked to preach on this subject at a men's retreat. And I was thinking a lot about this, and it came to me that, you know, for the Jewish mind, the 
We had talked about last night how God called a man named Abram. And he called him out of nothing, out of nowhere, and he made of Abram a great nation. And Abram became Abraham. promise of God became Isaac. And then who's next in line for that next name slot on the marquee? Esau. Now, I'm not trying to be silly, funny, or, or irreverent. But in the normal scheme of things, it would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau all these years that the Jews would have been saying, you know, our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it has not been. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the secondborn. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Doesn't the book of Romans tell us that God chooses whom he will? And he, if he chooses the, the younger, uh, the elder to serve the younger, yes, that is true. But don't forget what I said last night. While God might incorporate those things into his plan, he does not let you off of the responsibility of the wrong choice. Just as, as I said last night, it was in part of his plan to allow the Babylonians to come in and oppress the nation of Israel and destroy the holy city of Jerusalem and destroy the house of God, the temple. And yet, you find that God says, but I will not leave the Babylonians guiltless because in pride they raised their hand against the people of God. And it was God using them to judge. He allowed them to judge his people to bring them <coughs> to the place of repentance and yet he still holds them responsible just as he did when Judas fulfilled the prophecy that one near Jesus would be the one who would betray him. And Judas fulfilling the will of the plan of God for the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Yet the Bible says of Judas, it'd be better that that man was never born. You see, you can't just say, well, it all worked out for the good and think that you're not going to stand guilty before God if you are rebellious against the things of God. Oh, God knows what's going to happen. And he may, may well use your rebellion as an illustration to save someone else. But you, but you, you don't get to sit back and say, well, see there, uh, <laughs> this is a variation of all things work together for good. Yeah. To them who love God, to them who are the called according to God's purpose. Don't, don't just... Well, you know, this little snippet, all things work together for good. But you're going to find that all things are not good. Now, for the Christian that's trying to live for God, what a hope we have. But these are things that, that Esau uh, were, had coming, and it should have been Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Esau, and it was not, has not, and is not that. It is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau had no idea what he was forfeiting. When he said that day, I'm at the point to die. And what good will my birthright do me if I'm dead? And so he sold the birthright to his younger brother for a bowl of lentils, a bowl of beans, and some bread. A preacher recently, I was heard preaching on this. He said, a bowl of beans and a piece of cornbread. Oh, I don't, maybe it was cornbread. It might have been. I don't know. But it doesn't change the equation. 
that what he got was worth so much. I mean, it's, it's not even uh, worthy of comparison. And yet, I find that believers today despise what is theirs by birth and think little of it. What does it mean to despise his birthright? What it means to despise his birthright, by the way, before I forget to, to, to finish that thought about the firstborn, the firstborn is uh, with the nation of Israel has always belonged to God. You, you go the, the firstborn uh, in, the, in the establishment of the Passover when the death angel would pass over and the Bible says, that, told uh, uh, through, through the instruction of the man of God that they were to take the lamb, firstling of the flock, and they were to watch him and make sure that he was without, air, without blemish, without fault, and without lameness, without blindness. And they were to sacrifice that lamb and catch the blood in a basin with a branch of a hyssop bush that they were supposed to dip it in that blood and strike it over and on the right and on the left of the doorpost. And then when the death angel would pass over, when he saw the blood, as the songwriter put it into words, I will pass, I will pass over you. We just came through the time where we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we watched a recreation of a Jewish Seder. I don't think Christians need to be running off performing Seders or anything like that. They are, they are instructive for us because there's so many things that they do that they don't even know why they do. And the reason they do them is because uh, during the first century when these Jews started trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, they started adding things into the Passover celebration that Jews today still follow because of tradition. And you ask them why they do that and they don't have any idea why they do it. But those things point to Jesus Christ as the bread of life, as the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, as the one who is without sin, without uh, any error in him. And so they point to him. And we were reminded as we, as we watched and saw the explanation of, of uh, the unleavened bread, uh, the type and picture of, of the sinless uh, Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. The firstborn. And down through the, the line of the Jews, down uh, through the history, looking at the firstborn and looking for the firstborn. And we know that in the New Testament age, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. These are things that Esau set aside because he was hungry. Now let me say this. I see a parallel in the Christian life today where we also despise what is ours by spiritual birth. Oh, preacher, I would never despise my spiritual birth. Well, let me ask you, what was it that Esau did where the Bible claims that he despised his birthright. What, what, what happened? Did he say, I think the birthright is stupid? No. Did he say, birthrights aren't worth anything? No. He just thought more of something in this world than he thought of the birthright. He esteemed <coughs> the value of a bowl of beans 
as having greater value than what was his by birth. <coughs> than being named the firstborn. Than being named the heir. Than being, uh, they getting twice uh, uh, of the inheritance. Uh, then all of that, to him at that moment, none of that mattered because he's got to live right now. Well, it, sound, it starts to sound familiar to us because the things that are ours by birth, and I don't want to try to even start to, <coughs> if, I, if I start to name stuff, I'm going to, to, to not get very far, but, but never mind, I'll do it anyway. What's in our, our, what is ours by birth? We have a name. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus as your Savior, uh, then you're a child of God. Uh, bought and paid for, yes. You say, well, which is it? Are we, are we born into God's family? Or are we, uh, are we adopted into God's family? And the answer is yes. We are, we are His by the spiritual birth, but we have been adopted into His family as well. Hey, you want to, <coughs> in other words, however you want to look at it, we belong to Him, and that's the end of it. We have a name. A name in our spiritual birth. We have, we have an inheritance. The Bible says we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We, are, we have an inheritance from God. We have a home in heaven. Uh, we, we're waiting now for the trumpet. We're waiting now for the shout. It's the next thing on the prophetic calendar. And all I have to know is that it's coming and live in light of that. I don't have to... I don't have to really figure out all the vials. I don't have to figure out, you know, all the colors of the horses. And I don't have to have all that figured out. I just have to know what I'm supposed to do today. Because when all that other take, is taking place, think about this. When all that other stuff is taking place, we're going to know what's going on. Because we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be with Him. Seeing it from that vantage point, not this vantage point. Seeing it with glorified eyes. Seeing it with heavenly knowledge. All of those things that we're so stressed out about now. And when we get to be with the Lord, we're going to go, huh, it doesn't look so hard from here. We're all stressed out about those things now, but we're ignoring. What did he do? He just ignored the value of, the, of what was his by birth. He placed a higher value. You, you know what it means to esteem? <coughs> esteem means... Uh, when you esteem something a value, it means you're placing what it's worth to you. What's it worth to you? Now, if you walked in someplace, I'm trying to think of where we're at today, and we looked at the price of something, and we went, "Woo, that's a little pricey. That's a little expensive. Or as they say back in Wisconsin, oh, that's spendy. Oh, oh yeah, you betcha, that's spendy, huh? They talk funny over there, right? But you know, there are certain circumstances where it just doesn't matter what that costs, you're just going to get it. And that's the, way, that's the way it is with us. We are so captivated in this world that we can't unlock ourselves from it. You know, you ever think about singing hymns? Man, the song service was a blessing tonight. It was a blessing tonight. 
You know the value of singing these hymns? We're singing them from the heart. Is they give us, they create a buffer between the world and what's going on right now. We come in with heavy hearts. We come in carrying a burden. We come in thinking about our problems. And if you do it right, and you pick up those song, song books and you begin singing about the Lord Jesus Christ, you start singing songs like, it's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away. It's just like Jesus to keep me day by day. It's just like Jesus all along the way. It's just like his great love. You start singing songs about heaven. Start singing songs about, about the presence of God in our lives. Start singing these songs. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Start singing about him and it creates a buffer. It begins to help us <coughs> set aside the things of the world, push them back out. We carried them in with us, helps push them back out the doors and windows for the time that we're together so that we can hear from God. If we don't do that, some, it doesn't help at all. Because while others are singing, you're checking your bids on eBay. You're checking the stock market going up or down, trying to hit it at just the right spot. I've, I just, listen, you, you want stock advice from me? I've never lost a penny in the stock market, ever. You know why? Don't have anything in it. So when you're flat broke, I guess you just don't care what happens with the stock market. The truth of the matter is, we get so locked up in this world. And in effect, give me just a little bit of space here to be very pointed. We are, in effect, saying, what good will my Christian life do me when I've got these problems? What good does all of this stuff you talk about, preacher, about the presence of God and, and prayer and, and, uh, and soul winning, what good do those things do me when I'm wrestling with bills and <coughs> and?" And things breaking down and, and my mortgage and, and my health problems and all these things. But it's the very thing you need. The very thing that will help you. To despise the birthright, all he did was esteem the birthright a lesser value of lesser importance than something else. The same indifference about spiritual things is seen today <coughs> in those who are believers. We take too lightly the things that are ours through Christ. We think of heaven too lightly. Oh, we know something about heaven. We know it's a place where Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. We say, amen. We know that's going to happen someday. But in our mind, we're thinking, how does that help me with tomorrow? How does that help me with my problems? And what you are doing and what I am doing when we do that is we are esteeming those things of lesser value than the things we're dealing with today. 
we are despising what is ours by birth. Oh, no, preacher, I wouldn't just remember. Esau didn't hate his birthright. He didn't make fun of the birthright. Matter of fact, when he lost the birthright, what was his reaction? He was upset. When his brother stole the blessing, he was upset. The only way, you read it and tell you, we could, we could be here all night if you want to, and I could show it to you. Or you could just look it up later, see that I'm right. The only thing that comforted Esau's soul was that he said to himself, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And the Bible says that Esau comforted himself in the knowledge that he was going to take his brother's life as first opportunity. You see, Esau didn't really think the birthright was nothing. He just thought it was less than a bowl of beans. And so we have the same problem today. What, 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 is, what is the basis of this? We have this insatiable thirst and hunger for the things of this world. We think we can't live without the stuff. We can't live without bells and whistles. We can't live without things that, that, uh, uh, that make our life comfortable. We have to have the biggest and the best. We have to have things that make our life comfortable. We have to have these things. You'd be surprised at how little some people live with. Be surprised with what some people get by with. And they love the Lord, and they're, wait for it, happy. They come to the house of God, they've got nothing of this world's goods, and they have joy. And you say to yourself, well, that's nice for old grandma, and that's nice for old grandpa, but we live in a different age. No, all you're doing is you're, you're giving yourself away. Listen to me. You're giving yourself away as too enamored with the things of this world. Too locked in, too, you know, we've become cyborgs. You know, resistance is futile. The world is going to assimilate you. And you're going to be less human. <laughs> you're going to be less Christian and more worldly. So I'd throw that in for you, Star Wars people. And how true it is. We, we become infatuated with the things of this world. We think advancement. We think position. We think authority, we think all of these things are where it's at. And so we ignore, we ignore what is ours by spiritual birth because we are too infatuated. We have a thirst for the things of the world. The Bible says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And what do we do? Our eyes are on the things which do not matter. The Bible talks about look not at things which are temporal, but look at things which are eternal. How much of what we give our life for is just gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. We, we, we spend all of our time, 
We spend so much time on the things that will not matter. Just a week or two ago, I was visiting with a man that I know. He's not, doesn't live anywhere near us. He's not in our church. And we had met up for supper, and he brought, he brought to show me. He, we got there, and we're just about to sit down to eat supper, and he pulls out this little box, and he opens the box, and in the box are four or five little Ziploc baggies, and in each little Ziploc baggie are, uh, I think, eight or ten little nine-millimeter bullets, cartridges. And he begins telling me. He, he reloads. I'm, I'm not against that. He begins telling me, now, these are all, all nine millimeter cartridges. But he said the, the first one has this many grains of powder. The next one has that many grains of powder. The next one has that many grains of powder. And he said, and I, I've, I've loaded, I don't know how many variations of the nine millimeter with different grains of bullet and different amounts of powder, different kinds of powder, and test fired each one of them through multiple guns. And he, I mean, I, and if, you, if, you, or if you're into that, I'm not, don't think I'm being critical of you. If you're going to be good at something like that, that's the reason you do it, and you keep records. And he has everything written down for every, every round of every powder and every, every amount of powder and every, every grain of bullet and, and how it did and the accuracy of it and what guns it fires through the best and which, which ones that this gun likes, etc. But as he was telling me all about it, I was thinking to myself, Try to think of a Christian that has spent that much time explaining to me something he found from the Word of God. How this verse ties in with that verse and, and what this means to us as Christians. In other words, we're not taking spiritual things nearly as seriously as we're taking worldly things. And when we stand before the Lord, I promise you this, there will not be a quiz on those bullets and trajectories and all that stuff. There will be no quiz over that. It'll be, what did we do serving Jesus Christ? How was your prayer life? You see, we think of prayer life as maybe a responsibility, maybe a duty, something to check off our list, something we find a convenient way to do it. Why are we looking for a convenient way to do it? Why not do it to where it makes us move something else, change something else? Because we're so in love with the world we have the same love of the world as did Esau. We have the same indifference about spiritual things as did Esau. We have the same lack of remorse of having put aside spiritual things as did Esau. He wasn't sorry he, got, he, sorry he didn't have it, but he wasn't sorry for his trade. And so we find ourselves today doing the same thing. And so he comforted himself with he's going to find a way to, to balance the scales when he kills his brother. We might put ourselves for a moment, and I'm not going to go much farther tonight. I have a lot more notes to cover, but I think I'm just going to not go as far with it tonight as I thought about. So let me just, let me just bring this to a conclusion tonight. Let's go back to Esau. And Esau said, I'm at the point to die. Now he wasn't. 
But you ever been so hungry you thought, I'm about to, I'm about to die. I've got to have something to eat. And 15 minutes later you say, I'm so full, I think I'm going to die. But Esau said what? What good will my birthright do me if I'm dead? I have a different question for Esau. What good will the beans do you when you're dead? You see, because what you traded your birthright for has no eternal value at all. So not if you're dead, but when you're dead, what good will that do you? Say so you're being very pointed tonight, preacher. Yes, we need more preaching like that. I was reading an old handbook on revival some couple of years back, and it was talking about John Wesley and some of the preachers of the past. And they said we need more. We need more preaching that 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 has thrust and, and stab and less comforting. We need more that, that takes, that comes at the souls of men with full force and drags men to the place of the cross and less trying to just encourage them to come to the cross. And so yes, I am being pointed. And I'll say with the Bible and what good will those things do you there was a rich man whose crops were that were abundant so much so that he had no place to store them and he said i don't know what i'm going to do i'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns you say what else could he have done he could have thought i've got more than i than is reasonable for me to need there must be a need somewhere else for God to have blessed me this way. He could have done that. But no, he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. It sounds like a very American thing to do, right? And I'm going to lay up my goods and have goods laid up for many years. I'm going to say to myself, soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees. But then the Bible says, the Lord says to him, thou fool. Why? Because this night your soul will be required of you. And so when you're dead, what good will that do you? What good will the fancy cars do us when we're dead? You, our reasoning gets all, by the way, I believe, I believe our reasoning gets turned around because Satan is using it to tempt us. I, don't you see the same thing in the garden? When he turned around Eve's reasoning, the Lord knows the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God's to know good and evil. He twists our thinking. What good is this going to do me? What good is prayer going to do me? What good is church going to do me? What good is witnessing going to do me? What good is prayer going to do me when I'm dead? Are you kidding me? We think too little of it. What good are these riches going to do us? Our reasoning is all convoluted. Let me give you one more illustration of twisted thinking. 
So the Bible talks about the master that's going in. When the Bible says the disciples came and said, Lord, and when he was heading toward Jerusalem, as disciples came and said, Lord, wilt thou, will thou restore the kingdom at this time? Is that why we're going to Jerusalem? They looked for a material kingdom. They looked for a, a, a king who would raise up an army and overthrow the Romans and kick them all out and establish a physical kingdom. And Jesus is trying to explain to them that right now it's a spiritual kingdom. There is a physical kingdom coming, by the way. But that was a spiritual kingdom. And he said, he spake to them in a parable, and he said, a man's taking a long journey, and he calls his servants, and he leaves them different measures of money, different talents of money, from 10 down to 1, according to their several ability. And then he goes and takes his long journey. What Jesus was telling them was, he's going to go to heaven. He's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Amen. And then he's coming back. And when he comes back, he calls the servants to account. The judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of the believer's sins. Those are already judged. They're judged on the cross of Calvary. Your current sins, that you, if you commit sins today, God judges you of those in real time. When we stand on the judgment seat of Christ, that is for our service. That's how we have served God and we will receive rewards or suffer the loss of rewards based upon our service for Christ. And so he calls his servants to him. Hang on, we're almost done. He calls his servants to him and he says, give an account of thy stewardship. And one would say, here's five, you left me with five talents. Here's your five talents with five others beside. Because I put your money to good use, I invested it wisely. And here's your money with interest. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you ruler over much. And a man comes with two talents, or has two talents, and he comes and he says, Hey, give an account of your stewardship. And he says, You left me with two talents. Here's your two talents, and here's two besides, because I put it to the usury just like you wanted me to do. And here's your own with interest. And he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll make you ruler over many. But then we come to the guy with one talent. The rest of the parable is to let us know that God is a just and faithful God. So that we know what God expects out of the man with one talent. He doesn't expect ten. He doesn't expect five. He doesn't expect one, excuse me, two. He expects his own with usury. But what does the man say? The servant says, I knew that thou art a hard man. Think about this. I know you're a hard man. And I know that you like to gather where you did not sow. And I knew that you expect your own with interest. Here, wait. So I dug a hole 
and buried it. And here's your original talent back. By your own words, you are condemned because you declared you know what's expected. You know what is anticipated, that he would come back and look for his own with usury. And yet, you somehow use that as an excuse with twisted thinking to do the opposite. You see, the problem is I'm preaching to people tonight, many, who, many of whom say, oh yeah, we're saved. We know what's expected. We know what's coming. I've talked tonight about the rapture and God amens. I've talked about the judgment seat of Christ and God amens. I've talked about, about heaven and God amens. The millennial reign and God amens. We know what's expected. And yet, we continue to focus on things that will not matter. We are despising what is ours by birth, by spiritual birth, Think about this with me. You want to say, oh, I know, I love God. I love the Lord. Oh, I love the Lord. Well, let's just take your sainted mother. And you don't call your mother. You never talk to her. You never, you never communicate with her. You don't send her uh, emails. You don't send her, she can't text. She, you, you know. She's, you know, 300 years old. She can't text, you know. I used to have fun with my dad. He, he couldn't figure out texting, so I would text him constantly. And he just, he just gets so frustrated. <laughs> I had fun with him. Anyway, um, but he finally throw the thing off. I can't forget this. Something wrong with my phone. He throw it down. It's always something wrong with the phone. Does she, how does she know that you love her? If she, how does she come to believe that you love her? You take somebody that's, that you say, oh, man, I just love you so much. And we never communicate. We never talk to them. Where's the proof? And so maybe a friend of yours that believes that you love them and there's no way to communicate. And, and so let's just imagine that we don't have cell phones. And they go to the expense and the trouble. They've moved a thousand miles away. They've gone to the expense and trouble to cover that thousand miles with poles. And on those poles, through valleys and up and over mountains, they've strung telephone wires so that over a thousand miles away that you'd be able to finally do what you, show that you love them by staying in contact. And they've gone to all that trouble to make sure that you have access to them at any time of the day or night. And they sit by the phone. And it never rings. You see, where's the proof of our love for God when He's available to us? But the phone never rings. But I'm busy. I've got my life. I've got this. Yes, we are too 
infatuated with the things of this world. We are despising what is ours by birth. What is ours by birth? We have a name because we're adopted. We have an inheritance through Jesus Christ. We have an avenue to God the Father that we can enter the throne of grace, uh, enter into the throne room, uh, and let our requests be made known unto God. We have all of these things that we ignore. Why? Because we're too caught up in the bowl of beans that is our life. Listen, you, we try to sell that to the preacher, and, and he's a man too, and he's busy, and so he might buy it in some way. But you can't sell it to God. You can't sell it to God. What is supposed to be? It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it never has been, never will be. Because he forfeited that. Because he was too much in love with a bowl of beans. Oh, Christian, what is yours by birth? What do we have through Jesus Christ? And yet, we're, we're in love with the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love the Father is not in him. And yet, how much time do we spend on things that will not matter? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Bow our heads and close our eyes. Now, Christian. You're not doing business with me tonight because I would surely cut you some slack as a fellow journeyer on this, in this world and say, boy, I know, I know things are hard and things are busy. We are doing business instead with a holy God who's done everything for us, makes himself available to us, provides the things that we need, but certainly certainly does not understand why we're ignoring those things that are ours by spiritual birth in favor of things that will not matter. Why are we more in love with what we possess in this life than what we possess in the next life? Why are we more concerned about what people here think than what our Heavenly Father thinks? Where do you stand before God? What is yours by birth? Father, I pray that you would bring deep conviction in our hearts and lives. That we might be overwhelmed with the way that we have responded to your grace poorly. That we might set a course correction tonight to look at things which matter, to look at things which are eternal, to look at things which are ours by spiritual birth as more important than the things of this world. And Father, I pray that Christ would be magnified. I pray that there'll be some people at this altar tonight saying, God, forgive me. Forgive me for ignoring prayer. Forgive me for ignoring the Word of God. Forgive me for just skimming over words and not, and not studying to show myself approved unto God. 
A workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing words. And forgive me for not living up to my name as a child of God. God, help me to fall back in love with you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we stand to our feet and the piano begins to play. If God is speaking to your heart, step right out. Don't delay. Don't wait for somebody else. You step out and come. It's really